This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello, and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Benner, and today I'm sharing episode 69 with Molly Reeser. Molly is the founder and executive director of Camp Casey. Camp Casey is a nonprofit organization that provides cost-free horseback riding programs to children with cancer and life-threatening illnesses in Michigan. Molly has a really incredible story about how she started Camp Casey as just a one-day event to honor the life of a young girl named Casey who had passed away from cancer who Molly met while teaching riding lessons at a barn. This started as just a one-day event back in 2004, but as you can tell, 16 years later, Molly continues to run the programs and impact the lives of so many children and their families. In this episode, Molly shares that story about meeting Casey and the impact that Casey has had on her life, how she started Camp Casey, the programs that they offer and why they started the newest program, Lone Star Getaways, this year, the story of how Horsey House Calls started, and this story might be my favorite, and she also shares goals and dreams that she has for the organization. And before we get started with this episode, I do want to share about a new partner of the show, Finley's. Finley's was founded by two former special education teachers, and they make pet treats with just a few all-natural ingredients that your pets will love. They give 50% of their profits to initiatives that provide employment training, accessibility, health and wellness, and advocacy programs for people with disabilities. They are doing such incredible things for the community and they are just a company that I really, really love. And you all can use code Illuminate20 to get 20% off your order at getfinleys.com. I recently grabbed the peanut butter banana crunchy biscuits for my own dog and I know he will love them. So I hope you grab a couple bags of treats for your own pets as well. All right, I am so excited to bring you my conversation with Molly Reeser. All right, today on the podcast, I am so excited to be joined by Molly Reeser. Yeehaw! Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah, so Molly, you are the executive director of Camp Casey. Can you tell me more about yourself and what Camp Casey is to get started here? Certainly. So um, I'm actually the founder of the organization. I act as the executive director as well, but I would say I'm most proud of the fact that I founded this program um, now 16 years ago. So um, Camp Casey itself is a nonprofit organization. We bring horses into the lives of children with cancer, sickle cell disease, and other life-threatening illnesses. And we do this in a variety of different ways. Um our most famous and unique program, I would I would describe it as, is called Horsey House Calls. And this is where we deliver a horse and horse camp and an experience of horse camp to the doorsteps of children who are sick. 
So it's interesting right now going through COVID where everybody is homebound and everybody feels, you know, immunocompromised and at risk for, um, you know, being infected. That's sort of what our children and the families that we've been working with for over a decade feel every day. So it's not just COVID that they are trying to avoid bringing into their home, but it's the, uh, you know, common cold and anything else that can really um, disrupt that their child's um, health and safety. That is, that's their every day. These are families we're working with that are vulnerable in lots of ways. And um, the kids that we serve don't get to go to summer camp, not in 2020, not, not in 2019, 2018. They have, since their diagnosis and depending on their treatment schedule, they really are homebound. And we are bringing horse camp and a really wonderful activity, um, right to their doorsteps. We knock on the door and there's a horse and we stay for the afternoon and have a really wonderful experience with the family and friends and neighbors. And I can get into horse house calls a little bit more um, as we chat, but um, that's one of the programs that we operate. We also provide cowboy campouts, which is an all expense paid horseback riding vacation. We uh, This year we rolled out a new program called Lone Star Getaways, which links families with privately owned vacation rental properties. And then our final program is called Outlaw Outings, where we provide one day recreational events for vulnerable children and their families. So that in a nutshell is Camp Casey and yeah, I can say I'm just very proud to be um, a part of it and to have had it take my life in the direction that it has. Yeah, you're not only a part of it, but you're really the brains behind it and everything within it. So, well, I wouldn't say. I mean, I mean, I've. It's definitely a. It's interesting because I like to describe Camp Casey as this sort of force and this spiral of good that I've been so fortunate to really be a part of. But um, at this point, I'm really like a you know cog in the machine. I, I go where the organization guides me to go. It's a very guided organization and I'm not alone. I work with the most talented team and, um, I would say I'm, I'm like probably like the lowest in terms of <laughs> the brains behind the operation. I think I sort of, you know, I had the, I had the drive and the, um, tenacity and the kind of annoying personality to kind of keep it going and start it and want to get it off the ground. But now that it has been birthed, it really has grown into its own being that I'm really just kind of along for the ride, you know, not to, we, we get very punny at Camp Casey with all the horse, you know, r- wild ride and all oh, that. Yeah. But I, I will say this is I am very much like a part of, you know, the journey that the organization has taken me on. And uh, so I cannot take credit. I'm not trying to just be humble. I'm just saying I I am one of the very many um, very passionate team members who are working to Camp Casey's uh, ultimate, to reach its ultimate potential. Oh, I just don't think you're giving yourself enough credit. But let's <laughs> talk about the inspiration behind Camp Casey and about that little girl, Casey herself. Sure. So I went to Michigan State University. Um, I was studying journalism. I actually have a journalism degree, which, um, you know, I can argue that I kind of use it because I do a lot of writing in my my job, but, um, I was not the best student. I barely graduated, honestly, looking back. And, um, I was always very interested in just other things that I could do and be a part of and grow. And I, my mind had always, felt like I was ready to just start something and do something. And um, 
I loved horses and I loved animals. I mean, I always have and I, I always will. And prior to going to Michigan State, I worked at a, a horse camp. And I was a horse count, uh, riding instructor and a counselor for um, kids there. And so when I got up to school, I, I wanted to have a job where I could be outdoors. And I could be around horses again. And Michigan State happens to be in a pretty rural part of Michigan. And there was a horse farm nearby that um, in the state news, they were looking for some barn help. So I started working there, mucking horse stalls. And to the non-horse people, that means like picking up horse manure <laughs> was my job. That was kind of to earn my extra money while going to school. Um, and it was there working at the barn that I met a little girl named Casey. And she was little. She was about 10 years old when we met. And she was just a fireball. I mean, this girl was like funny and sarcastic and cute and just really had like a really great personality. And, um, she got to know everybody who was there. I mean, she would talk to anyone with ears and that really reminded, she kind of reminded me of a younger version of myself because she just yeah didn't care about what she looked like or what she said or how anything came off. You know, um, she was just her, herself and just a really, really sweet little girl. And also we related to one another because she had such a strong love for animals. I mean, she was not only there to be around the horses, but she was there because she just loved the outdoors and being around animals. And she and I um, really bonded because she used to collect these little baby birds that would fall from the rafters. It was like total like, you know, survival of the fittest sort of thing. <laughs> these baby birds were not long for this world and they would fall from the rafters in the barn and she didn't care if there was a riding lesson going on or somebody was in the arena, you know, doing something that they, you know, could not be interrupted. She just, you know, walked her way in there and she would pick up these baby birds and she would bring them to me because I was the only sucker that was like, yes, yes, I'll take them home and nurse them to life. And um, I tried really hard. I think I brought probably six or seven baby birds home in the time I knew Casey and I would feed them cat food and make my whole like college apartment smell like cat food. And, um, and they ended up, you know, none of them, I don't think ever made it, but I never told Casey that they always, you know, and my story back to her was, Oh yeah, we Tweety got very strong and now he's, he flew <laughs> off, but I had like a graveyard in my apartment backyard. But, um, so we bonded over that. And something else about her that was obvious was that she was going through cancer treatment. She didn't have her hair she was, her face was sort of bloated from the treatment that she was, you know, enduring. And she would be gone for days, sometimes weeks at a time because she had a surgery or she was in the middle of treatment. So not well enough to be around, um, the barn. And, and again, seeing like that, and you can only just imagine that visual of a little girl who's going through active cancer treatment, you know, saving the lives of these little baby birds who like, really didn't have a chance, you know, it was like this beautiful, um, I don't know, just a really heartwarming and also sort of gut-wrenching experience. So it was really easy to fall in love with Casey and her big heart, but she was really sick. And it was something that I had never been exposed to. I was, you know, 18 or 19 years old. And I was just in my own world of, you know, thinking that I was just the only person on this earth. And, you know, you're a very egocentric person at that age. And so, to be witness to somebody who is reminds you of yourself and it has her whole life ahead of her. And she's just so 
ill. It was like a, a real eye-opening experience for me. I never knew that kids could really get cancer, which is like kind of strange to even hear myself say now because it's such a part of my everyday. But um, Casey was the first exposure for me that this was not like an old person disease. This wasn't something, cancer wasn't something you get when you're in your, you know, 90s. It was something that a child could have, could be going through. So um, there was a real like awakening experience for me getting to know Casey. And I will say that she was just like a force at the barn. Everybody knew her. Everybody was friends with her. And she just brought this like beautiful spirit to where we all, you know, worked or where people had their horses. It was a, it was a wonderful, um, feeling that she brought to the barn. So she passed away about a year and a half after I got to know her. And obviously it was like devastating. We all were like, there was like this silence, this like deafening silence from her being gone. And we just all wanted to do something to honor her memory. Um, all of us, the, those who worked at the barn, there were boarders, those who kept their horses there, the owners of the facility, everybody thought, let's do something. We need to recognize that Casey's memory, you know, lives on in some way. So different ideas got thrown about. Um, I remember like some of the other young women wanted to like pool our money and buy a park bench and put her name on it under a tree or plant a tree or walk in a 5k for pediatric cancer research or something. And I just remember like hearing all these ideas floating about, nobody really was like actually organizing anything. And also the ideas that everyone was coming up with, I, I was like, eh, that's, that's boring. That doesn't represent this little like spitfire girl, you know, like it just everybody's <laughs> ideas. I thought mine, I could do it better. So I went to the owners of the barn and I said, Hey, I have an idea and I'd really like you to get behind this. Um, I'd like you to let me have your facility for one day and your school horses. They had five horses that were suitable for children. And I said, I want to go to the hospital where Casey received treatment and invite other kids to come out here and enjoy one day of riding. And, and I sort of had this idea that I would mock up like a camp, like a horse camp, but it would be just for one day. And we would call it Camp Casey, but this wasn't, the idea was not to have an ongoing thing. It was like to have just a one-time gig and that was going to be it. And of course the the owners of the barn were, they were also parents and they had hearts and they were compassionate people. And it was like a no-brainer, of course, take over, do this. So I went to the hospital and I put up flyers and I had this one day in mind that we were going to have not only the children who were going through treatment, but we also wanted to invite the brothers and sisters, the mom and dads, grandma and grandpa, whoever wanted to come out because it was I saw that Casey would, it wasn't just for her. It wasn't only her therapy that she got out of being at the barn. Her mom and dad were out there all the time. Her brother would come out there. It was like a, it was like family therapy for everybody. So I wanted to keep that going. And, um, so I put up flyers at the hospital. I think I put like $200 of pizza and arts and craft supplies on like the emergency credit card that my parents gave me to go to school. <laughs> oh, no. And, um, awesome. and we, and I had my boyfriend out there, you know, and he was, he do, he's now my husband actually, but he was oh, an awesome. art, art, art student at the yeah. time. And I was like, you're going to be our arts and craft king. And I had him doing crafts with the kids. And then I had my other friends. My best friend was, you know, helping with the 
uh, grooming lesson. And I think I quickly like showed her how to groom a horse and how to teach the kids how to do that. And so it was a very like bootleg put together thing. And, but it was fun. And the sun was shining that day. We had over 80 people come out. We had 20 children and then all of their like friends and families. And it was just this celebratory day for Camp Casey. All of Casey's family were there. Uh, we brought in, you know, of course, the pizza that I put on my parents' emergency credit card. And we had, um, we just had a beautiful afternoon and we felt we had appropriately honored Casey's life. And then from there, it was like, okay, now we can move on and we can feel that we honored her and we did something much bigger than putting a perk bench, you know, under a tree that no one's going to ever sit on, you know, or if they right. do, you know, it just, we, we felt the impact was, I felt like it was much bigger for these kids to have had one day to have the same sort of joy that horses brought to Casey, you know, bestowed on them. So, um, but that was it. Then I was going to move on and continue going through college and getting a degree and then moving to New York City and becoming like the, you know, Carrie Bradshaw, Sex in the City writer and live in a really cool high rise apartment. <laughs> I had this like fantasy life, like sort of planned out for me, um, that would happen obviously much later. Um, but, um, that was all of course interrupted when about a week after that day, the Camp Casey day we had in 2004, um, I received a letter and it was, it was addressed to the barn and the barn owner handed it to me. She said, you got a, you got mail here. It's kind of odd. And I opened it up and it was from this little boy named David and he was only four and he was also in treatment for brain cancer, which was, um, what Casey had. And it said, thank you for the best day of my life. And I saw it and I was like, uh, well, we got to do this again. Like so yeah. it, we, it, it made it so that this was the best day of this little boy's life. Like, how can we say that that was like, it was almost like, I was like, oh no, we got to do this again. Like this isn't, you know, we, we can't have this kind of impact and just have it go kaput. So we got to actually bring it somewhere. So I again approached the owners of the barn and I was like, yeah, you know how I told you it was going to be a one-time thing? I want to do it again and I want to do it monthly. So on a monthly basis, um, they allowed me very generously. They gave me their land and their horses and the ability to operate this program. And we brought out a new group of people every time. And it was just this beautiful celebration once a month. And it was something that I looked forward to. All of my friends looked forward to it. Um, I started getting a little bit more savvy in terms of not spending my own money, but reaching out to pizza places that could donate a few pies to us. And, um, you know, it didn't cost us anything except for some time. And uh, like I said, I was not most focused scholar. So I had some extra time on my hands yeah. to put it together. And so we, we did this until I graduated. And, um, so it was about three years that, that we ran this program. And then when I graduated, I was like, okay, I had that like move, who moved my cheese moment where I had to figure out what, where my life was going to go. And there was just nothing that I felt passionate about the way that I felt passion for organizing Camp Casey days. And so, you know, I thought, okay, I can go to law school. I can like get a job. I could like really make my parents happy and like get health benefits and things. And, but I was like, you know, I just, I kept coming back to Camp Casey and I kept coming back to how good it felt and how I not only loved the impact that it was making and seeing the kids so happy and reading the letters that we would get, you know, the week after they were served, but 
also just the feeling of building something and putting it together and going on this constant scavenger hunt for like, you know, who will get us, give us the, you know, free goodie bags to give to the kids. It was like a game all the time. And it was so much fun. I woke up in the morning thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. It was like, I saw such potential. And I had been doing research and learned that there was really no other organized group doing anything like this. There was no, I mean, horses are wildly therapeutic and there's therapeutic horseback riding for those who have Mm -hmm. physical and mental, you know, disabilities, but there was nothing for, there was no sort of organized horseback riding program for those who needed the emotional help that I felt that we could provide and definitely nothing for kids with cancer, which is in itself a very underserved population. So um, I saw the need and I, I knew that we had the the horsepower, no pun intended, <laughs> in, in the college campus that was nearby and yeah. in the farm. So um, I did, a, I think, the bravest thing of all. And I sat my parents down once I graduated for at dinner and I said, hey, I'm very fortunate and I feel grateful to you for helping me through school and, you know, doing making all the sacrifices you had to make to give me an education. Um, but I'm going to um, waitress for a little while and see if I can build Camp Casey, you know, and I don't think that they would admit this now, but they were a little like, huh? What? Like, yeah, so you're not going to have like, wait, so wait, what you're like, you're, what about like a 401k? What about health <laughs> benefits? What about, yeah. you know, you no, you're cut off, you know, and um, they did cut me off. And it was okay, because I said, you know what, I can do this, I can waitress. And I and I did it was the plan was, one year of hustling, one year of waitressing or doing what I needed to do to um, see if this could work. And then if one year went by and I still wasn't able to turn this into anything, I was going to just go get a conventional job and, you know, cut my losses. But one year turned into six years. So it wasn't... Now 16. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I now can look back and say, thank goodness I like stuck with it. And, you know, I mean, doors were closing left and right, but then there were other portals that I could get into and just I sort of um, persevered and kept going and I hustled. I mean, I taught fitness for a while and I waitressed and I worked banquets where I was like, you know, I served at, it was anything. There was, there was not uh, Uber at the time, but if there was, I would have been an Uber driver. It was like, no matter what job I could take, I was working my you know, tush off. I mean, I was just from sunrise to sunset, I had something going on. And then in between, I was working on building Camp Casey. I was taking meetings with anybody who would meet with me. You know, there were people that were like, who are you? What What do you want? You're you're 22 years old. Like, what can I can't, you know, I, there's nothing just I can hustling. help you with. Yeah. But just I took, I got, I gathered business cards and I followed up and I just, I wrote a lot of thank you notes to whoever would listen to my ideas. And it slowly grew and grew and grew. And I was able to convince enough people that they should believe in this dream. And as I was dreaming, I was building and working and it ended up just evolving. And it really did. It was like, I was able to put some water on a seed and it just completely grew. And it, now I feel like I'm catching up to it. Um, we are now 16 years old. We've, we, I was finally able to hire myself back in, I want to say it was like 2012 or 2013. Oh, wow. That um, must have been an incredible moment. Having oh, my goodness. For that. It was really wonderful because it felt like the last six years that I had been hustling um, 
had really paid off. And, and I will tell you, it took a while. I would still like see like, you know, I'd still get a call like, Hey, there's, you know, I, there's a shift that needs to get picked up. And I was like, I, I kind of had to get myself out of that mindset. Like, I don't need to be a nanny anymore. I don't need to do these things anyway. I actually have a job, you know, and I was able to hire myself and one other young woman. And now we have a four person full-time staff, including myself. We have, um, 23 seasonal employees. We have over 600 volunteers in our region then we have a 600 um, wow yeah we have a large volunteer pool that's very active and then we also have a satellite program on the west side of our state so we are in the detroit region here that's where we're headquartered but then we have a satellite program in grand rapids on the west side of the state so we are actually able to deploy our programs on the same day at the same time from two different hubs which is really cool so Mm -hmm. um the program has just grown enormously and it's made tremendous impact we've we reach 1,600 participants a year. Um, wow. and even, even during the pandemic, we were able to oh, continue really? our program. Yeah. I mean, wow. and this is what's interesting is that at first we were kind of frozen when everything happened. We right. didn't know Everyone was. <laughs> what this meant. But then after uh, really having some more uh, in-depth conversations with our hospital partners, mm-hmm. it became clear that we have been delivering our programs to homebound immunocompromised children forever. So we were one of the only organizations that was actually completely set up to make this happen. We did have to make some amendments. Like the the Horsey House Call visits typically attract about 30 people. So it's a neighborhood event. Um, we did have to start limiting it to just the child and the immediate family under one roof. And we were all masked up and took temperatures and uh, made sure that we all safe, you know, safely socially distanced and did so mm-hmm. leading up to the day, but we were able to make it happen. And in fact, what was kind of a silver lining to this year was that we were not only getting calls, of course, from our cancer, and we also serve the sickle cell population. So we always have mm-hmm. uh, cancer, sickle cell, and aplastic anemia, which are all um, in like sort of the blood disease right, family. Yeah. Um, but we started getting calls from a lot of kids who could not go on their wish trips because all the wish trips had been canceled. They could not go to their summer camps that had been canceled for kids with special needs and things like that. So this year we did something, we kind of took a large step um, that we've always had sort of on our vision board, um, but we made it happen. And that was that we opened our parameters to serving children with all life-threatening illnesses. So we saw children of all, um, kind of walks of life. And it was something that I I believe was, we never knew when the timing would be right for that because we never had the resources to make it, you know, it was like, well, we have to draw the line somewhere for cancer and sickle cell and aplastic anemia. And eventually we'll open those parameters this year. It was like, we had no choice because the kids had no other options other than Camp Casey. So Mm -hmm. we were sort of in, in some ways, you know, I don't want to use the word forced, but we really felt we had no choice but to open our program up to more kids. And it's been just the most wonderful decision we made. And it's something that we will be sticking with. So there's a little silver lining there to this uh, strange, strange year. (laughs) Yeah, that's so cool. So I'm curious, do you still work with that same barn that you started Camp Casey at? Or now do you own your own land, your own horses, yeah, and have so, your own barn? Okay, well, this is a great segue. So we, what we used to do when, in the early days of Camp Casey is we held these one-day events at different barns. And, and they were all privately owned facilities. And we actually would travel throughout Michigan so that we could open our geographic reach. 
Well, a problem that we kept running into, and this was probably in like 2005 or so, is that we would have this grandiose day planned. We would get all of the, you know, vendors to donate their pizza mm-hmm. and their crafts and their, all the goods. We'd have volunteers on staff, you know, who are so generously giving their time and we'd have a medical personnel on staff, a nurse or a doctor or a resident, uh, volunteering his or her time. And of course the barn itself allowing us to take over their facility for a day, which they were you know, having to take a cut in revenue because they were not able to offer their horseback riding lesson program that they might have had planned for that day. So it was a lot of moving parts and a whole lot of generosity coming together. None of it under our, you know, control really. And then we would have the day planned and it would be equipped to host 20 children and maybe only 13 or 14 of the kids would show and sometimes even fewer than that sometimes it'd be like eight or nine kids would show and it wasn't just because, because they might have like medical exactly interruptions or schedule exactly conflicts. so having gathering a group of immunocompromised children who are all under different treatment schedules at the same place at the same time is a problem i mean sometimes we would get lucky and we would have everybody you know the stars would align but other times it was like really disappointing for everybody including the children because we would have this whole day planned and we only had one of them a month mm-hmm. um, and it would just not coincide with their treatment schedule because directly after, if you've ever known anybody who's had to endure chemotherapy, yeah. you feel like crap the days following. So, it, and your blood counts are low and it would just be unsafe to be around the dirty things like horses and hay and dust um, if you are immunocompromised and your platelets are low. At one of these particular, and I guess I just, I love telling this story because it just is such a um, testament to how we have been able to really turn terrible things into wonderful things. And I think that starts with Casey's death, you know, where we were able to take this just devastating thing and turn it into something where it has it had, it's made it a positive impact on others' lives. And that has been a theme that has run so strong throughout the whole history of the organization. And Horsey House Calls, which is the program that brings horses to the homes of kids and is tailored to their treatment schedule, tailored to their independent experience and what they're going through, that was born out of something really awful that happened. And that Mm -hmm. was that we had one of these one-day Camp Casey events, and we had a little girl come, and she was only only four at the time, and she had a sister who was seven. Her name is Kelly, and I like to preface when I tell this story that she is now like – in her twenties and she's beautiful and she's thriving and doing wonderful and just, oh, and she's so alive and yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but, but at the time she was very, very sick. She had rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a mm-hmm. cancer of the soft tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a highly malignant, fast growing cancer. She was only four years old and her little body was just going through just the terrors of chemo. Oh, and yeah. it's awful. And, and for she, the family. Oh my goodness. And her seven-year-old sister whose yeah. life is completely like turned upside down. And, you know, the siblings go through a variety of emotions and issues having a, a sibling with cancer as well. I mean, there's a whole, I could, I, there's a whole podcast that we could talk about that alone. Yeah. But um, oh, I the, imagine. the family had come up to enjoy this one day of fun and respite and normalcy for their two girls. And they were both on the horse. I remember we were about an hour into the day and they were on the horse and the nurse we had volunteering with us came up and said, this little girl needs to get off the horse right now and go to the hospital. 
and she had a nosebleed. Her nose started bleeding. And if, you know, anybody who has kids or has been around kids, they pick their nose all the time. So they'll bleed. And it's like, you plug your nose or you stuff some tissue up there and you're fine. But for Kelly, this was an emergency because her platelets were low and she was at a place in her treatment where she could have bled to death. She, oh, her blood would yeah. not clot. So we had to immediately get her off the horse. And I will never forget it was like nothing to get them off a horse. You know, I would think of my own children. I have a six and a seven year old little boys right now. And, you know, you get them to try to stop playing their video games and they pitch a fit. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you were to tell a, a typical child who was just sitting on the horse for the, for the first, you know, five minutes and should have been there all day to, get off that horse, you would think that there would be a temper tantrum thrown. But these children were so ingrained in this life of disruption. It was such a normal part of their life that it was just like, okay. And they got off the horse, off the horses, and they got in the car and they went to the closest hospital. And that's where Kelly had to endure a blood transfusion. And she had to spend the day in the hospital. And it was like, and her whole family is there. Here, they're supposed to be doing something wonderful. And Mm -hmm. they, cancer, once again, comes between that, you know? So of course, I'm feeling terrible. And we had nothing, this was at, the, this was late summer. This was, uh, late August. And we had nothing else planned that usually our season would, we're in Michigan. So it's snow, oh, it can yeah. snow in September, you know? So <laughs> yeah. we, um, we had nothing else planned for, for later on that season. So it wasn't like I could say, Oh, don't worry about it. Come to the next one. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something though that was to make it right for this family who missed out on this fun day. And it kept happening. Things like this just kept happening over and over again. So while this is going on, I'm grappling with how are we going to amend this program to make it so that we can, do we offer it more frequently? Well, that's asking a lot out of the barn owners. Do we, and it's expensive for, um, you know, pizza places to be delivering this all the time. And how do we make this work, you know, for these kids who can't come or who are disrupted by their treatment schedule? So this is in the back of my head and I'm working with the family who I talk to the mom and we, we talk about, um, you know, I keep in touch with them and I learn that Kelly is in a much more stable part of her treatment. This is now early October and we happen to have this beautiful weekend coming up. And it was one of those unusual October days where it's just like 70 degrees and sunny and yeah. just a beautiful day. And I called my girlfriend, Ashley, who had, um, a horse and my friend Madison, who had a truck and a trailer. And I said, and the horse that Ashley had was perfect. This was like a bomb proof horse. And I was Mm -hmm. like, why don't we bring Sonora the horse to um, Kelly and Lindsay's house? We'll just do a, we'll do a Camp Casey visit. You know, we'll we'll kind of mock Camp Casey. We'll bring crafts. We'll bring pizza. We'll bring the horse right to their house. And my friends were, of course, like, well, yeah, let's go. Let's get in the car, you know? And so we hit the road. We knocked on the door and there was a horse on the doorstep. And these girls just, like, thankfully, Sonora was like maybe half deaf or something because she, they just screamed like so loud and they were so excited. It was like we were bringing like, I describe it as like we had the publisher's clearinghouse check, you know, like we yeah. were like <laughs> surprising the family with like $10 million yeah, yeah. or something. But we had a horse, like not a check. It was a horse, you know, in which to, you know, a four and a seven year old was probably way better than $10 million, you know? So (laughs) we ended up telling them, meet us out back. And they came out in the backyard and we gave them rides and we brought in pizza and we had crafts and we just, we basically did a Camp Casey day, but just for this family. And it was so special and it was intimate and the neighbors all came out and were like, what's going on? You know? And it was like these kids for the first time were being pointed at and talked about because they were being celebrated and Mm -hmm. not because they were standing out because 
you know, Kelly looked different than everybody. So it was just this, oh my gosh, it was just one of the best days, you know, that I've ever experienced. It was so much fun. But during this visit, uh, we're like between like the, you know, playset and the sidewalk and this gentleman drives by and he says, what is this? And he was a neighbor. So he knew that Kelly was sick. He knew the family was going through hard times. And I said, we're Camp Casey and this is a horsey house call. And it was just kind of like something that I just like pulled out, you know, Mm -hmm. it was not anything that was really planned. It was sort of just came together. And he said, is that what you guys do? That's This is like a nonprofit. This is your organization. I said, no. I said, it's not what we do, but this is what we would do if we had like the equipment to make it happen. Because this whole time I'm thinking, this is what we should do. Instead of having the children come to us, we need to go to them. We need to make this as turnkey as possible for these families who are, you know, have so many things going on. Let's make this easy on them and bring this program. I mean, how if you think about like what's easier, going out with your family for pizza or having pizza delivered to your house? You yeah, know, yeah. it's like let's come on, let's make this easy on the families who are already struggling through so much. So the whole time this is happening, I'm just having these visions of this is what we're supposed to be doing. And so when this gentleman said this to me, uh, you know, is this what you guys do? It was like, no, but this is what we could do if we had the resources to make it happen. And um, he said, well, let's meet. I, I want. He gave me his business card. And he said. I want to hear more about this, or I don't know. It might have worked out the other way where I said, let me tell you more. Cause I, you know, like I said, it was like, if you have ears and get within like five feet of me, I need to like talk to you about my dreams. And so <laughs> I met up with this gentleman, um, a few weeks later and I shared with him this vision and how this would work. And he said to me, how much would something like that cost? And I said, and I just sort of did mental math. Again, this was like something I was so wildly unprepared for any sort of real, you know, questions. I just had a dream. I didn't know the details. And so I said, $50,000. And I just really pulled that out of thin air because I did, I sort of estimated, okay, a truck is at least Mm $25,000 and you need a truck to pull a trailer. And the trailer is at least what, 10 or 15 grand. Yeah. And then there's going to be supplies and there's going to be a horse. I mean, I, and at the time I will tell you, Emma, we had probably like $400 in our bank account, which we felt we were rich because we had just the done like- The nonprofits, yeah, 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 the nonprofits. Oh, my account at the time probably was like, you know, <laughs> I was probably <laughs> like, that. right, I was probably being called into, uh, you know, for my overdraft fees at the time. But the, <laughs> the, um, the, ba- the bank account of the organization was very low, but it was, mm-hmm. enough, you know, we just probably had a bake sale or a car wash or something. And that's why we had like, you know, four or $500 there. So when I said $50,000, I might as well have said $5 million. You know, it was like, I was dreaming, but he said, how much do you think this would cost? And I said, you know, $50,000. And I don't, I remember vividly thinking like, oh, I should have said five. I should have said 5,000 because I don't know who this guy knows or what oh, his situation yeah. is. Maybe he would have whipped out his checkbook and written a check for five grand had I said a reasonable number. But I was sort of kicking myself. Like, Why did you say 50? That was like too big. That was too scary of a number because he didn't really respond with much other than, you know, well, that sounds like this sounds like a really cool thing to be working toward. And then we went on our way. And I will tell you, like I said, I would meet with just anybody who would listen to me. So this wasn't unusual for me to have a meeting, have it go nowhere, and then, you know, meet with the next person. It was just like anybody who would listen to me, I would talk about this too. Meanwhile, I'm just building this idea of horsey house calls and what it would look like and how it would work and how beautiful this program could be. And I'm just writing down so much stuff having to do with horsey house calls, horsey house calls. And... I check the P.O. box. This is months later. And I open our P.O. box and there's just like 
you know, junk mail or maybe like a bill here and there for something. And I open up an unmarked envelope and in it is a single check. There's nothing, there's no return address. There's nothing on this check. Uh, um, and it, it says anonymous in the memo. Mm-hmm. And it's for $50,000. That is incredible. But so, I, yeah, so it has to be that guy, right? Well, I mean, I, it was, it's him and his buddy who he was able to pull in. Um, wow. but I, I honestly, like at the time though, I was like so stressed out about it because I'm sitting in my car and it's like, I can replay it in my head. Like it happened, you know, this morning I was like, Oh no, now we have to do this. Like now this is like, cause the wheel, like I had been thinking about it so much, but it was such a pipe dream. And so the fact that now we had this money that like, I, that was like, now there needs to be, there's accountability. Now we actually mm-hmm. have to, you know, I have like a waitressing shift scheduled in an hour. Like how was I going to do this? You <laughs> yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. like this is like too much money now. I was terrified and I just studied this check and I was just like, th- and I was like shaking, like, Oh, I mean, I, I, my initial response was not excitement. It was panic, you know, and well, fear. And there's the pressure of other people buying into it too. So exactly. I couldn't scary. let this person down. Yeah. I mean, somebody believed in me now, you know, somebody actually wanted to see this happen and now I needed to make it happen. And it was just terrifying and just, I was paralyzed with fear and I just was staring at this check and I look at the date of the check. I'm like just studying every like inch of this piece of paper and I noticed the date and it was August 26th. And that would have been Casey's 17th birthday. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. Perfect. I was like, this is her gift to us. This is her. This is her giving a gift to, it's a birthday present. So that month, I want to say, uh, or like that early September, we bought a truck. We got a trailer. We were able to get a horse. And we hit the road, um, that following summer. So we had all of the season to really prepare and figure it out and get the infrastructure in place. But that June, we hit eight horsey house calls. So we did eight that first year. The following year, we had 15. The following year, I want to say we hit 20. And then from the following year on, we've had 30 horsey house calls in Southeast Michigan. So that just to put it into perspective, because we go out from June through September, mm-hmm. it's three to four visits a week that we're going on no so it's just the summertime okay okay yeah we can only go from june through september just because it becomes dangerous to go in the winter that's why Mm -hmm. we have other programs that we operate throughout this the winter time but um we now do we have 30 in southeast michigan and then we recently opened up a satellite program in grand rapids and on the west side of the state where we are deploying at the same time so we have one going on in in grand rapids the same time one is going on in detroit so it's a really beautiful, um, you know, evolution that has taken place and this program has just grown tremendously. And it's just, um, like I said, I do believe that Casey has guided it through and through and I'm just, I'm so proud of Horsey House Calls. You know, it's, it's just one of the four programs that we run, but it, it definitely has a special place in my heart because of just how organically it grew mm-hmm. and how, how unique it is and just the, um, the service that it actually, that it, it provides. Yeah, it's such a special opportunity for so many kids. All right, I'm just stopping in here real quick to share a few things before getting back to my conversation with Molly Reeser. I'm really excited to share about the company Finley's. 
and Finley's was founded by two former special education teachers, and they're making pet treats with just a few all-natural ingredients that your pets will love. They have some really fun flavors that you your pets can try, including peanut butter pumpkin crunchy biscuits, peanut butter banana, blueberry coconut crunchy, apple and cinnamon, salmon, and so many others. There's definitely a flavor that your pet will love. And what I really love is that they give 50% of their profits, that's half of their profits, to initiatives that provide employment training, accessibility, health and wellness, and advocacy platforms for people with disabilities. This company is just doing so many great things, so I just love supporting them because of all that they're giving back and doing for the community and all the opportunities that they're providing for individuals with disabilities. So you all can use code Illuminate20 to get 20% off your order at GetFinleys.com. And lastly, before we get back to my conversation with Molly, we do have a listener survey for the Illuminate podcast that we would love if you filled out. We want to hear from you to help better the show in the coming year. And I will put a link to the survey in the show notes and would love if you took just a few minutes to fill that out. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Molly. Do you want to talk about some of the other programs that you put on as well, the other three? Yeah, so Cowboy Campouts is our second signature program. And when I say signature program, the signature programs are ones that the families can only participate in one time and they need to choose either a horsey house call or a cowboy camp out. And really this is done because the need is overwhelming and you know, the, the demand outweighs our ability to serve more than one child uh, or uh, one child more than once with one of our signature programs that are quite expensive because yeah. oh, it's completely cool. free for the kids and the families, but none of it's free for us. I mean, it's very costly to run the program. Mm-hmm. Um, our insurance alone would just make your head spin. So, which is, an important thing to have, but when I, it's, it's a very expensive program to well, operate. Well, when you're working with a thousand five hundred pound animals, it, the liability exactly. is there. <laughs> yes. And there's nothing like this. This isn't like insuring a restaurant. I mean, we yeah. have to, there's, we are so, it's very interesting how we are insured and how we are, are the safeguards that we, we have to keep. But, um, oh, I couldn't imagine. So we only, we only have one and, and even up keeping the truck and the trailer and, um, just how we operate is it's costly. So we, we only offer it to, uh, one, one time per child, per diagnosis. If the child relapses, mm-hmm. they, they are able to have a signature program again. But, um, we hope that that never happens, of course, right. even though it does. Oh, yeah. Um, but Cowboy Campouts is our second signature program. And this is where we provide an all expense paid horseback riding vacation for, 20 families a summer. And we do this um, 10 families at a time. So we will take 10 families who are all going through similar circumstances on an all expense paid horseback riding getaway. There's a dude ranch just north of Muskegon, which is another big city in Michigan. Um, that is really cool. It's this awesome dude ranch resort. And we rent out 10 really beautiful cabins that have you know, they're, they're very fancy. They have like 
little kitchens in them. They're handicap. They're all handicap accessible. They have like whirlpools and uh, you know flat screen TV. They're air conditioned. They're they're really really nice. And I I have to say that because we're working with children who are immunocompromised. And sometimes when we call and we talk to the families, they go, "Oh, this is such a cool opportunity." But you know, my kids can't be camping right now. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. This is glamping. This is yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's in the woods and you're unplugged and you're like having bonfires and hay rides and horseback riding. But it's it's definitely a um, really glamorous experience that we're providing. So we give the families this, it's a long weekend. They arrive Friday late afternoon and they stay until Sunday early evening. Um, and that's done intentionally so that the families who have already exhausted all of their um, vacation time from work because they've had to care for their sick child are able to come up and um, take a carefree weekend. They don't have to think about the activities planning anything, paying for anything. They simply pack and show up. And if they can't even do that, if they have a hard time, you know, affording the gas to get there, we'll take, we'll cover that for them. Or we've had, we've rented cars for people who have not had a vehicle that would be able to get them there. So, um, they, we make it as easy on the family as we possibly can to just unplug and they get to enjoy a vacation during a time when they would probably likely not be in a position to not only plan for something like that because it's so emotionally exhausting what they're going through, but pay for it. I mean, no matter how wealthy the families are who are struck in with this terrible luck, um, they are now financially strapped because they've had to take time off of work. They've had to, some of them lose their jobs. Um, the medical expenses are just outrageous and, um, they would never be thinking, wow, we really should plan a vacation for our family right now, even though they desperately need that time away. And just to be away from the four walls that they're, they're used to looking at, you know, under such tumultuous times. Further, they're able to interact with other families who are going through the same thing that they're going through or have been through or are either further along in treatment or a little behind in treatment. So they can either act as a mentor to the families who are newly diagnosed, or they can get the advice and the mentorship from families who are a little bit further along and can give them some of that guidance and um, reassurance and help and resources. And we're not sitting around the campfire saying, okay, guys, now it's time to talk about cancer. But 100% of the time it comes up and it comes up in a very natural way and they become lifelong friends with each other. And they, and I know this because we all become lifelong friends with each other and we, we do send for Camp Casey staff to facilitate the weekend and make sure we kind of serve as their, you know, maitre d's and making sure that if they need something, if they need more towels, they come to us. They don't even have to bother the front desk. We will, we serve as their kind of, um, you know, staff that weekend and we'll babysit if mom and dad want to go on a trail ride because they haven't had a minute to themselves to, you know, have resurrect some of the romance between them or like uh, have a date. We will babysit the kids and take them to the craft barn while mom and dad go riding off into the sunset on a horseback ride. Um, they eat delicious meals. We sing campfire songs. We roast s'mores. They go on trail rides. It's just a beautiful weekend away that we're able to give to 20 families every year. Um, this year, Unfortunately, uh, COVID did disrupt that. We were unable to operate that program safely. So we did have to pull the plug on it just for a year. We're hoping that we get back to it. Hopefully 2021, if not 2022. Um, but, um, we knew that in, in this again, here's that theme of, you know, some, uh, silver linings, you know, is that, um, and like some really great things that can come from lousy things is that we, 
we panicked for a second and then we figured because we do all of our fundraising the year before. So right now I'm fundraising as much as I can for 2021. So in 2019, we had secured all of our funding for 2020. So here we had, and that ex- that program is expensive to operate. It costs about $25,000 a year to take the 20 families on this trip. So um, we had money that we didn't know how, I mean, it wasn't like we had no idea how to spend it, but we had commitments that we had made to our donors and to our supporters. And we, and we had family signed up and ready to go that we we could not provide that experience to them safely. So we got really innovative and creative and we came up with what is now a new uh, program that we are hoping to keep permanent in our organization, which is the Lone Star Getaway Program. Instead of bringing the families all together on this all expense paid vacation, we instead scholarship them to go on independent vacations. We teamed oh, up. cool. Yeah. So we used Airbnb and VRBO. Yeah. And I kept calling it Care B&B, even though that didn't catch on. <laughs> like <laughs> The staff was like, no, no, we're calling it Lone Star Getaways. This is way, way it goes along way better with our theme. But um, I still internally like to call it Care B&B. But I don't know if Airbnb would maybe sue me for that. But yeah. we ended up, we ended up um, teaming up with um, generous vacation property owners. And we actually, this year was wonderful because we did have a budget that we were able to throw their way. Um, so we were able to actually pay for um, independent stays at uh, Michigan Vacation Properties. So That you connected fa- with through Airbnb or how did you yes, connect with them? Through Airbnb and VRBO. So we were just you just got- sending random people messages? Yes. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, we did. And we asked, you know, for a break as much as we could, as they could, but yeah. it was also prime time and we were doing it really quickly. So a mm-hmm. few, few times we did have to pay full price, but we spent about a thousand dollars per family and that gave them a, an all expense, you know, getaway where they could go with their family very safely, um, to a vacation property, you know, on a Michigan lake or in the woods or, you know, um, there was one family I think we sent to a little farmhouse where they got to feed chickens in the morning and interact with animals. So it, while it didn't have the horse, you know, experience that we like to bring, um, it did give the families that respite that they needed and that time away. You know, a lot yeah. of the families we work with, their children later pass away. And we hear time and time again that this was the last happy memory they had as a an entire family. These are the last photos mm-hmm. that they were able to take all together where they could feel they were actually enjoying the company of one another and not crying over the hardships they were going through. So it was important to us that we could still do that in some way. And I'm very proud that we were able to pull it off. So those are three of the four programs. And then our fourth program is um, Outlaw Outings. And Outlaw Outings was created in an effort to not have to say see a never to these families once we serve them. And because it is so expensive and we can't um, you know, serve them more than once, we wanted to have some sort of ability to give them um, a way to reconnect with us, a, rate, a way to um, not only stay in touch with us, but also to just kind of know that we are there for them throughout the year and also throughout the years. So Outlaw Outings is um, a program that operates year-round and we provide one day recreational events. So for example, we'll take families on, um, we'll set up a day where we, we invite anybody who's ever been a part of Camp Casey from 2004 and on to join us to go on a horseback riding trail ride through a state park where when they finish their ride, 
um, we'll have a lunch waiting for them, a barbecue lunch, and they can reconnect with the volunteers, they can reconnect with each other, and it becomes a little party that we have um, at a state farm. Or we will bring mothers and daughters to a spa, and we will have a day where they can get pampered and just, and we connect with the spa, we make sure the spa you know, is in a position to either donate or really help us out um, in some way. And they invite us in. Sometimes we'll go after hours after the spa has closed down and the moms and daughters will get their nails done and get a facial and get a man, a pedicure and a massage. And um, we'll take families to professional sports games. We have a really wonderful relationship with the Detroit Pistons where they will give us almost courtside seats for families that we serve throughout the year. And they get to high five the players and feel like real hot shots. And so, so the Outlaw Outing program is just a way for us to continuously stay in touch with the families, reconnect, and um, give them an opportunity to still remain a part of the Camp Casey family without having a repeat signature program. Wow. <laughs> you yeah. are, That's a lot. Yeah. Be, like, what is your schedule look? You must be putting in crazy hours. Well, my, my schedule has definitely you changed, awesome you know, especially, oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I, my schedule has changed since becoming a mother, you know, I, and I really try to operate the kind of organization that, um, I envision a way for our organization because we are grassroots and we do have control over the policies that we can put into place to set a, an example for other organizations and other businesses to hopefully follow suit, um, that will allow for um, a working mother to have the ability to be a working mother mm-hmm. because it's, oh, yeah. it's really hard. And that was something that I learned, you know, shortly after I was hired, I think I was, it was like the year I was able to finally have a paycheck was the same year that I was pregnant with my first child. And it was like, uh, you know, it, it, there was a whole other new obstacle for me to kind of overcome and figure mm-hmm. out. And so, we are a very progressive organization and we work really, really hard, but we work um, pretty uniquely in the way that remote work is sort of something that we all, we have an office and we do get our work done, but there are often times where we are working um, very early mornings or very late mm-hmm. evenings. It's like, it's, but this kind of job, and I think this is probably the way it is for any nonprofit, especially in the grassroots, you know, category is that it's not really like a conventional job. It's, it's a way of life. It's like everything I do, I have Camp Casey in mind, you know, doing. If I go to a mm-hmm. coffee shop and I order a coffee, it's like, I'm going, Oh, maybe we could put a jar here and have a coffee, have a, you know, the, a loose yeah. change collection. You know, it's yeah. like, there's no time and, and it's you not never just shut me. It it's, yeah. No. And it's, it's a passion. I mean, I will say it's really exciting though, because I like when people ask what I do. And I think any of the staff that I work with would say the same thing that it's like, they're the only people that actually look forward to the question of like, so what do you do? You know, mm-hmm. most people, if you sell insurance, you're like, oh, let's not talk about that. But, <laughs> but every, you know, yeah. every, it's a, it's something oh, yeah. that we are all very proud of being able to, um, talk about. And we, um, we take a lot of like pride, um, being able to be a part of this and having this as our job. So it, it but it's, it, it doesn't feel like a job. I mean, it, clearly there are days where I have to do like, you know, database entry or like bookkeeping or something that I'm just like, oh, this isn't super fun. But, um, for the most part, there's a lot of um, times where I am thinking or talking or working on my work that I would, I would, I'm choosing to do that because I enjoy it so much. And it's always growing and it's always evolving. Currently, we are working with um, this 
phenomenal group in Detroit. It's this, they're these older gentlemen who, I mean, older, they're in their seventies and eighties and they are, um, a group called the Buffalo Soldiers Heritage Association. And it's a group of African American cowboys oh, who, cool. um, are trying, their mission is to spread awareness about the Buffalo Soldiers, which were the first ever, uh, you part of the U.S. military, mm. first cav- cavalry in the U.S. military that, uh, were made up of all black soldiers. And so it's really neat because we serve the sickle cell population, which are mostly African American, um, ch- children that we are seeing. And so we're working together to collaborate with them currently to start hosting some outlaw outings on their farm and using some of their horses and pull in some history into what we do, which is really exciting. So I guess I bring that up just to say that the, the organization is always evolving. We're always growing. We're always collaborating. And so it never feels like work. It feels like an adventure. Yeah. And if there's, I mean, if there's one thing that's clear from this conversation is how passionate you are about the work. And I think that's something so special and, and makes it possible to do the work at all, all hours of the day and have it be on your mind so often. Yeah. I, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I, I, uh, my neighbor the other day said, she goes, your job is just so cool. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, I know it's the coolest. Like, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to do something like, like if mm-hmm. I, I would, ne- there's, you know how there's, um, sometimes the security password and hopefully I don't get like identity theft happening this way, but there's like a security password thing where they go like, what's your dream? What's your, who was your high school boyfriend? Oh, yeah, what was yeah, the yeah. first make of your car? And, and like, what's your dream job? And that answer for me is always Camp Casey because I cannot, yeah. I couldn't even dream up of a better job. I mean, maybe if I had like Adele talent or something and I could be like a <laughs> uh, like performer or something, that would be a dream job. But um, without having any natural ability, like talent <laughs> like that, I would say right. that this is a dream job and there, I, there was nothing I would ever change about that. Oh, that's so special. Um, I What are your goals? Like what are your goals for the next five, 10 years? Is there a goal to expand inter- or not internationally throughout the nation, I should say. Yeah, we've we've tried to figure out some sort of model to replicate horsey house calls in other regions. I think that um, I would love to see horsey house calls happening somewhere else. Uh, for a while, we were we had our sights set, and I say had just because the stuff kind of evolves and grows, and and it's still in our in our sights. But I don't know how if it's a ten year plan, a twenty year plan, a five year plan, but um, we have talked about setting up a horsey house call program in the Charleston area where, um, there's a large pediatric oncology community through, oh, okay. um, through MUSC in South Carolina and Char- Charleston's drivable. So we were thinking, well, let's drive our truck and trailer down there. And throughout the months that we cannot operate in Michigan, you know, let's go from, you know, September until May and then drive it right back up. Um, so that's a goal that we've had in mind is bringing horsey house calls to southern regions mm-hmm. where we could go during times that those trucks and trailers are sit- sitting still in Michigan collecting snow. Um, there's, we've also been hungry for our own home. I mean, we are sort of nomads. We're, we're, it's always funny and campy that we were able to say, like, when people ask, well, where is Camp Casey? We go, oh, we're everywhere. <laughs> you know, we're mobile. We're everywhere, which is wonderful because we've had no overhead. I mean, we, we don't have a barn to keep up. We don't, ha- we don't even own our own horses. We operate by using privately owned horses. We lease them for the day. Mm-hmm. So we put the horses through a series of very rigorous evaluations. Um, actually 
more than once a year or more than once a season. We put them through an evaluation process. And once they pass, they're then part of our hero herd. And we pay the horse owner every time we take that horse out. So we have a network of horses that we work with. So we don't have a barn. We don't have horses. We don't, you know, to to shoe and vet and feed and hay and all of those things. Um, but at the same time, not having our own place does limit us. So um, I would say like a nearer goal would be to team up with an organization sort of like Buffalo Soldiers or another organization and, and collaborate and figure out a way that we can use um, a farm that might be already in existence and um, maybe erect an indoor arena or have our oh, own yeah. base or something where we yeah. could then on a year round basis when it is snowing outside, have children come and operate programs in the middle of the winter. So that's a goal that has been sort of on the vision board. But um, I will say that what's beautiful about Camp Casey is that it's a, it's take, it takes you on this ride. And so I can dream up all of these you know, wouldn't it be cool if, but the serendipitous happenings that just continuously come into my life or into somebody else's or offer, that is really what ends up directing this ship. And I, I'm very fortunate and very, um, kind of, I'm humbled and very, um, happy to know that whatever the future brings, like that will be presented to us you know, and Mm -hmm. we just have to keep on doing what we're doing right now and keep working as hard as we can. And, um, you know, it will all be presented to us. I'm so confident of that because I've seen that over and over again, um, how it plays out just to really, um, grow in a beautiful way and not too fast and not too slow. So (laughs) that's what's, that's what's, uh, I guess that's one of the biggest challenges though, is that sometimes I get, so excited about something and I just want to do it and want this vision to happen. And it's quickly, I learned that everything happens in the time that it's supposed to. Yeah. What a, what a beautiful thing that you've created and continued on for 16 years. It's so cool to think that it was a one day event and stemming from Casey. So I have to ask, are you still in contact with Casey's family? Do they see what you've created in the honor of their daughter? Yes. So I'm very close to the family. I'm not only close to the the Casey's family, but also the family that, you know, allowed me to take over their barn for the day. I mean, I, over the 16 years, I've collected so many beautiful friends and um, those who have been real pillars in making this organization what it is and Casey's family is first and foremost there. Um, they sadly have lost three children. Um, oh, they have no. a genetic, there has been a, um, oh. it was, you know, they have a genetic thing mm. going on. So, um, Casey That's was one of, one of the three that they lost. Um, and so they've experienced tremendous loss and horrible, you know, things in their lives. And I do believe that they look at Camp Casey as a way to, um, you know, her legacy lives on and as a way to sort of have some peace knowing that her name has gone on to help so many other children. And not only the children, it's not only the kids, it's the parents, it's the siblings, it's the neighbors, it's, it's bridging that gap that, um, 
that discomfort gap that cancers can present mm-hmm. where neighbors don't want to ask their next door neighbor how they're doing because they don't, they're not prepared to deal with the answer. I mean, there's so many things that come from this. Children are being bullied at school. Well, they're not being bullied when they have a horse at their house. They're like the coolest yeah. kid on the block, you know? Oh, yeah. Volunteers, lives have been enhanced. Um, marriages have come from Camp Casey. We've had, we've had volunteers fall in love with each other on a oh, horsey house call and get married, so go on cool. to get married. We had, um, Two volunteers, one vol- uh, got engaged, one proposed in a horse stall at one of our cowboy campouts, which was really cool. So we've had life-changing moments that all happened because that you can link back to Casey. And mm-hmm. um, her family is, is proud beyond, you know, ways to express that their daughter's life will live on, you know, far beyond anything that that they ever could have imagined and so um but they've been wonderful to me they have supported me and embraced everything every wild weird idea i've had they've really allowed me to take this organization and run with it and grow it and um given me that license to to take her name and that trust that they've had in me to take her name and represent it with integrity has been something that I am eternally grateful to them for. They, they kind of stay out of my way and they show up at the, at the, uh, annual galas that we have yeah. and give a beautiful speech and, mm-hmm. and talk up to the supporters and express their gratefulness. Um, and it's a wonderful, beautiful friendship that we have. And I, I truly love them. I love that. Well, Molly, I hope you give yourself a little bit more credit as we talked about earlier. You have created just the most beautiful thing and such an incredible camp that is impacting so many lives. And I can't even imagine what it's like for Casey's family just to see the legacy of Casey live on. With that, I just, I do have to say, and I'm sure you have volunteered before. Mm -hmm. um, I don't believe that it's ever, you know, it's, it's not altruistic. What I do, you know, the gentleman who wrote that anonymous $50,000 check, like that guy deserves a lot of accolades because he wanted no recognition. He wanted no, he didn't even want a thank you card because he didn't want the stamp, you know, <laughs> wasted on that. He, that kind of, and I see that. I am so lucky because I get to be exposed to those kinds of people every day. I get to see the very worst of things like a child passing, mm-hmm. which is devastating and never gets easier. And I also get to see the very best, like people like, this gentleman, this angel, you know, and so many others like that who have so selflessly given their time and their money and their support and their advocacy for us um, and the brave children that I get to witness. Um, I do not want to say, though, that um, I don't get more from the family, from the, the experience from the families and the kids. I have more fun, and I think our volunteer, all of our volunteers do, have, and, and they have, the kids have a lot of fun. I don't want to minimize that. But the volunteers and the staff, we have more fun. And, and the feeling that we get to get from giving this is not, I mean, it's, it's like we are so emotionally compensated. It's like we're billionaires, you know? So, um, while I'm very proud and I'm, I'm, you know, I want to, stay humble and stay, um, you know, know that this is uh, something that I just am so fortunate and lucky to really be a part of. And I don't, I don't know how I got so lucky. I think maybe in a last life I did something really good or something because I just think that my life landed me in the most incredible place. But I will say that what I get out of this is all, even more than what our kids get out of it. So, um, and I would recommend to all of your listeners that if you don't volunteer or you never have or or haven't regularly gotten into something that really like, you know, excites you that 
that has to do with giving back, try it because the feeling that you get from giving back is so much more than, than you would ever expect. You know, you think you're Mm -hmm. helping somebody else, but really in that you help. And I think all of us got to see that during this pandemic when we were able to do Mm -hmm. things like donate blood or do a supply drive or however anybody decided to roll up their sleeves and get to work and help, you know, those on the front line, those, those are, you know, even the grocery store workers. I mean, there's a sense of pride that you, that all of us were able to get out of being a part of the helper, you know, being a helper and, and getting, um, being a part of the solution. And, um, I just, I hope that that is, if, if your listeners take anything from this, I hope it's that to encourage them to mm-hmm. volunteer and give back their community because you, you can only dream up what might come from that and how good it, it will feel for you. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. A lot of times in my life, I've been kind of like, I'm I'm a person that says yes to too many things. I, I have mm-hmm. trouble saying no. So <laughs> I always have been someone that fills my plate up a lot. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of the times that's been with like volunteer stuff. And mm-hmm. some people, sometimes pe- people in my life will say, you know, hey, you know, you're giving up something else by saying yes to that. Mm-hmm. And then every time I'm like, but this is what I enjoy doing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to sit down and watch TV. I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, even sometimes giving up hanging out with someone or something like that to get to volunteer is just a fun it's just such an incredible opportunity and like you said you just get so much more back mm-hmm. and I appreciate you sharing that because I think it is important for everyone to go out and do something for someone else because I, I I've heard it before that when you're having a bad day get up go do something for someone else go do mm-hmm. something kind something mm-hmm. just give give your time and energy to someone else and your entire mood will change absolutely could not agree with that more yeah well molly thank you so much for sharing all about Camp Casey and all that you're doing with that. I really appreciated hearing it and I'm so excited to share it as well. But for the end of podcast questions, what is the best or most recent book that you've read? If you have time to read. Oh, well, I will say I, it was funny because I was thinking about, I don't know. I, I, I read a lot. I, I read whatever is in front of me. I love to read. It's something that actually, when my, my brain is on overdrive, it's what calms me down and allows me to actually to decompress. So I don't read, but but it's embarrassing because I read like trash. You know, I like to read the like, uh, juicy novels that, oh, um, me too. (laughs) Shut my brain off. So I, as much as I would like to say, you know, well, I, I, I read, uh, the self-help book. Although I will say I read o- Michelle Obama's book and oh, I loved so that. Good. Yeah. But, but I, it was directly followed by the <laughs> Jessica Simpson book. <laughs> and I loved that. It was like, it was so funny because I remember the Obama book took me like three months to get through because I had to process everything and really uh-huh. think about it. And I, I really took time to really dive into mm-hmm. every sentence and it was so, and then Jessica Simpson took me like a weekend, but it was just, it was so juicy. And I was like, Kevin oh, Weir yeah. did what? So, oh, um, of God. course I love, I love anything like that, but I'm a, I'm a huge fiction fan. I, I did, um, jump on the crawdads, uh, bandwagon. Yeah. I, lo- oh, I yeah. loved it. I cried when that ended. My sister hated that book and I just loved it. I, I, I kind of like couldn't understand why she didn't enjoy it because I loved it so much. But, um, and I read the, uh, 
the Glennon Doyle self-help book um, mm, yeah. that everybody is talking about. I've, I haven't read Untamed. that yet, but I've been meaning to. That was pretty good. Although there were some moments in that too that I was sort of rolling my eyes at because, but I, I did like most of it. And then I, I'm currently reading Mrs. Everything by Jennifer Weiner. Um, oh, I've, in, yes, I've read it, that. <laughs> it, it's wonderful. It takes place in Detroit and it's a Jewish family. And oh, I'm Jewish. Yeah. And so it was just very, um, it's just a fun, again, I just love fiction and I love, uh, mm-hmm. this one's sort of historical fiction though too. Oh, and I loved The Paris Wife. That was a historical fiction that I read recently and that was all about Ernest Hemingway's, uh, you know, sexcapades and how he was kind of a scoundrel and it was really juicy. And um, I read, oh gosh, I, I mean, I could laundry list so many books that I, I but mostly it's beach reads and things that oh, are just yep. going to <laughs> take my brain. I will say when you talk about over filling your plate I'm the queen of that I think a lot of women in particular are um, which is like a blessing and a curse for us but I will say that I I use reading as a way to just shut my brain off Mm -hmm. and decompress and while I'd love to say that I'm reading nothing but you know uh, books that are going to better me and make me into a stronger more fit person most of the time what I'm reading is like the trashiest stuff that's just going to get my brain to stop thinking about anything productive and just kind of have fun. I appreciate you saying that because I sometimes feel like guilt about like, oh, why am no. I doing this? But it's like, I enjoy it. Why do yeah. I don't really watch TV? So it's like other people right. watch kind of trashy TV shows. This is just yeah. my trashy TV show in a book form. <laughs> yeah. You know, my husband, my husband is a guitarist. He is a pretty talented musician. And a few years ago, I picked up a ukulele and I just started kind of messing around on that. And I started learning an instrument. And that ended up evolving to now. And I, I stupidly made the mistake of thinking that since I knew a four-stringed instrument, I could play any four-stringed instrument. So I bought myself a bass guitar, totally two different instruments, nothing at all, like the <laughs> ukulele. But I will say, um, you know, you talk about not watching TV. We sort of replaced our evening TV, which is just nothing but, you know, panic and trash usually when you turn on mm-hmm. the TV. And we now nightly will have a drink together and we will play instruments. And it oh, has been fun. something that has really enhanced my life. He's always been a musician. And I sort of learned this now as a, you know, it's it was a really cool lesson to know that as a grown up, somebody in my third, somebody in her thirties can pick up an instrument and learn that. And I just think it's a testament to that. We can never stop learning and stretching our brain and, um, and having those kinds of goals in front of us. And if, if you have the consistency and the discipline and the, um, patience, then, then you really can do just about anything. So, um, I will say that I think that that's been a really cool life lesson that I've sort of learned later on in my life or in my, like at least middle age now that, um, it's not too old to learn something new. Yeah, that's a good lesson to pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, so who or what in your life is illuminating right now? You know what? Since I've been spending so much time with these gentlemen at the Buffalo Soldiers, I would, I would like to throw the credit there. I am just so fascinated with these gentlemen who have never stopped working. You know, a lot of them worked on the line or had a uh, gentleman I, I see all, most often there was a Detroit police officer for 30 years. And um, these guys have worked and worked and worked. Then instead of retiring, they now co-op this farm where uh, with the intention of bringing in community children to teach them about a very important part of their history. And um, 
I just am so impressed and I learn something new every time I'm there. I've, I've been volunteering my time out there mucking stalls and just getting to know these guys and hearing their stories. And um, we come from two completely different generations and different cultures. And it's been um, nothing but illuminating every time, every minute I spend out there. So I would say I'd, I'd give my, my buddies over at the Buffalo Soldiers mm. Heritage Association the, um, yeah. the uh, honor of knowing uh, – of they being who is most illuminating in my life right now. And what is an organization that you'd like to illuminate? Um, why don't I go ahead and, and piggyback right, right there, the Buffalo Soldiers Heritage Association in Detroit, Michigan. Um, they're a 501c3, and they are committed to spreading awareness about the rich history of the Buffalo Soldiers Cavalry uh, in the U.S. military and the important role that it played in uh, really paving the way for desegregation. Um, I think it's really a cool portal into, you know, ancestral pride mm-hmm. for a lot of African Americans in our country to know that um, it was because of the Buffalo Soldiers that, um, you know, we were able to desegregate the military and then eventually schools and then the society that we all live in. And, uh, but they played a large role in, um, uh, our national park systems and the trails out there. And I just think it's, I never knew this. This is, and this was not taught to me in schools. I've only known this now learning from my, you know, 70 and 80 year old buddies running this farm, um, about this history that is you know, kind of kept out of the history books that I learned from. So um, I'm very passionate about their mission and I'm, I'm excited to not only collaborate with them, but see them continuously succeed and, and help a, the very important um, population that they're serving. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And what is your one message to send to the world? Oh, I would say, um, you know, keep at it. Um, stay tenacious and stay driven. And when somebody tells you no, find somebody who will tell you yes. Um, be as annoying as possible until you get what you <laughs> are trying to get and um, just work really, really hard and, um, you know, try to surround yourself with others who know more than you do. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Molly Reeser. If you want to continue to follow along with all that Molly and Camp Casey are doing, you can find them on Instagram at Camp Casey MI or on Facebook at Camp Casey and on their website at camp-casey.org. And while you're at it, we would love if you continued to follow along with all that the Illuminate podcast is doing. You can find us on Twitter at Illuminate underscore pod or on Instagram at the Illuminate podcast. And as well as subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And as I mentioned during the episode, we have an end of year podcast survey that we would love if you filled out. We do want to hear from you to help better the show and keep bringing you quality content. So I have the link to that in the show notes and would love if you took a few minutes to fill that out. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week.